The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss using MarTech to recapture what you've lost. Joining us is Ryan Urban and Chris Mobayani. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Wonderkin, and Chris is the Associate Vice President of Integrated Marketing. Wonderkin is a MarTech company that helps organizations like HelloFresh, Samsonite, and Tribune Interactive identify unknown users on their website without using cookies. Yesterday, Ryan, Chris, and I talked about smart ways that you can reach your e-commerce customers and also what truly effective advertising looks like. And today we're going to talk about some data back recommendations for how to regain lost revenue. Okay, here's the second part of my conversation with Ryan Urban and Chris Mobiani from Wonderkin, formerly Boutsex. Ryan, Chris, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Glad to have you guys back. So we were all over the place yesterday. We started off talking about ways that you can reach your customers and what your platform does and how you can get identity resolution to figure out what the state of people who visit your site are. And then we got off on this tangent about what effective advertising really is. And just the quick summary is your feeling is it's Facebook and Instagram or die. And Google AdWords. And Google ads. Those are truly direct response. But everything else is kind of lackluster and being called a brand campaign, which in your words doesn't really mean it works. Yeah. And I'm talking digitally too. I think TV could be very effective. I think a radio podcast could be extremely effective. So I'm talking about pure from a digital standpoint. Sure. Sure. We're just putting pixels in front of people's faces. Now, today I want to turn the conversation a little bit more talking about capturing what's lost, regaining lost revenue. You guys are very much focused in the e-commerce space and understanding when a customer has had a relationship with a brand. And a lot of times there's abandoned carts, right? You're running into all sorts of problems where you get customer halfway through your funnel. How do you recapture those people? Run me through the playbook. Okay, so first, the word card abandonment is a bad term. People aren't really abandoning carts. If you look at all the surveys ever done on people abandoning carts, your question that's why'd you abandon your cart, right? It's like, oh, shipping costs is too high. Like, oh, there was like too many steps, right? And if you like single-handedly knock all those things out, oh, I get free shipping. I did a one-step checkout. Your abandonment rate goes from like 85% to 84%. So what it actually is, is not card abandonment. People are just using it as a placeholder because what no one wants to do is create accounts or create wish lists. It's a pain in the ass. So remember the things they're interested in and they add stuff to cart. And sometimes you need to think about things. So it's just a placeholder. They want to buy everything right away. And online makes it really easy for you to do that. 
I think of your cart as a dressing room. It's a maybe. It's, I don't know, I'll think about it. I think that's definitely more accurate. Cart abandon rates are about 85% of mobile for prospects, 70% of mobile for customers, or non-completion rates, I'd say, in that session. And on desktop, it's a little bit lower, but... 15% of people are actually getting through and making a purchase. That's right. So it's really high. So first thing you want to do in your mobile website is move to a progressive web app. Make sure your mobile website loads in sub one second. Now, you said progressive web app. Tell me what you mean. So if you're on Shopify or Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, Foreign Demandware, you're using their front end normally. And those frameworks are old and slow. So Google likes to make money. And for text ads, you could like, for Google to make more money, it's like, okay, well, cool. More people could be coming on the internet, which is not the case anymore, right? There could be, hey, let's get a bigger market share of search. They have 95%. They've kind of nailed that. You can increase ad density. So you can have more ads. They've gotten pretty dense, right? They can get more advertisers, which they do as well. And the last thing is like, so all advertisers and AdWords are backing into a return ad spend, ROI, a CPA. So it's all dependent on how the ads perform. So they did a good job of like, kind of making the ads form and giving tools and building an agency network. All those things I mentioned, Google's done. The last thing they need you to do is they need websites to convert at higher rates. So if they get websites to convert at much higher rates, people spend more money advertising because they've maxed on advertisers, they've maxed out on market share, they have the max on internet users, they've maxed on the agency networks. So how do they put encouragements? Well, they're like, oh, cool, let's try to improve site speed a little bit. Let's give it a free tag manager, right? Let's roll out a free A-B testing tools. Turns out those things have almost no impact. They're like, okay, well, if we can improve site speed dramatically, especially in areas like India, where like everyone's on phones and all people are on 2G, let alone 3G. So it's like, you know, when you're on your phone and something's taking a long time to load, it's you get a million notifications, you're moving on. So desktop actually site speed doesn't really matter that much, ironically, anymore. It used to, but now everyone has kind of fast desktops. Everyone's kind of connected to Wi-Fi. On mobile, it's a dramatic, dramatic impact on conversion. So Google figured this out and they, they open source this thing called Progressive Web Apps and they started it in India. They went to Flipkart and uh, in China, they did and they rolled it out, they went to AliExpress. And first, the technology just worked on Chrome, on Android and regular. And then they got the other browsers to pick up on this, where a progressive web app is a, like Gmail's progressive web app. So Gmail, you know, it's when you're Gmail and you're going through all your messages, they load instantly. So upfront, they're doing a lot of work. And actually, a progressive web app, normally the first load is a little slower. But then every subsequent page, everything else is like, like pre-cached super fast. So they open source technology and with the goal of making the internet faster. But the primary goal is to make more money of AdWords. That's why they did it. So now every browser supports it. They've supported it for years. Every website will be a progressive web app at some point. It's inevitable. Uh, responsive websites are really slow shit. Because responsive is load every instance of a website. So what responsive would made it nice that you only had managed one version of a website. It looked good. It was slow. So um, progressive web app is what you should be doing. And we don't offer this right now. My oversimplified explanation and how I usually describe it to people, it, it basically turns your mobile website into an app experience. It's beautiful. It's insanely fast. It works offline. It basically takes that experience that you have from an app that hardly anyone really downloads for e-commerce brands now and just brings it to mobile app. Okay, so we're talking about improving conversion rates and recapturing some of the revenue that was lost and moving to a progressive web app, having a better digital experience, one that's faster. Essentially, a kind of a caching mechanism, it sounds like, is one way that you're able to improve your conversion rates. The other thing is, from the brands we work with that are larger, we typically work with companies doing between 10 million a year line and billions in some cases. Once your business has been around, say, five, six years, and you say you have products where people buy them over and over again, and hopefully you do that, then it's usually half your traffic or more is actually your customers. It's not like you're, you're paying Facebook like $10 million a month to buy new, tra buy new traffic. At a certain scale, the majority of your traffic is actually your customers. But because no one wants to create accounts, and account, account creation has been just plummeted, and people don't create accounts and people don't log in. 
there's no reason to log into e-commerce websites anymore. You have Chrome autofill settings, PayPal, all those things. You don't need to create an account to like go check out your order stuff. So no one creates accounts. So it means your actual customers are on your website and they're just, you just think they're brand new people. Right. So you're not essentially collecting all the account information. Not to do that. So you want to send a card abandonment email, right? Which is basically like, hey, here's the card you make. And here's a few emails with the stuff in your cart. You're only doing that to a few percent of your visitors because you can't recognize your customers. So being able to recognize a bigger percentage of your people on your website as possible allows you to do the emails, send emails that people want to get. So that's what we do. We get back into this problem of very few people are going to give their email if you're not capturing it up front. A lot of people might put stuff into their cart, but they're not actually filling out a form to give their email. So how are you able to market to them? Well, our technology is able to recognize who your customers are not. And we recognize about half of your traffic. And by the time this releases, we might be at 60%. So that's the technology we built. This is why we're a $100 million company in seven years, because we've recognized that this is a huge opportunity for both consumers and retailers. So consumers don't want to get spam trash emails. Retailers don't want to send them. And consumers like receiving information about their cart. They want to know if there's a promotion available, stuff's on sale. So like we just we figured out what consumers want to get. We deliver to them. We figure out retailers want, which is a better experience, more money. We deliver that to them. So I just had a conversation with somebody who's working basically a similar platform where they're able to recognize who people are, collect the email addresses from anonymous web traffic, and you could use those to send messages to them. Hey, you came to my website, you didn't give me your email address, but now I can email you even though I don't have consent. I understand that it's a different methodology. You're collecting consent potentially from a different website. Somebody is giving you consent, right? And you're able to then take that email address and send somebody a message on a different website. Am I thinking about it the right way? No, the, no permissions get shared from website to website. It's either you've opted in or made a purchase from a website and then they have permission to email you. If the website doesn't have permission, we have our technology to help them collect the permission. So it's, you have to have permission. And true, this United States, if you purchase from somebody, then you have permission to email them. In Europe, it's not like that. So in the United States, there's a huge list of permissions. So all of our technology is about active permission. We started with active permission. That was our first technology. It's like, how do you actually have people to opt in? Right. So you're getting either an email or an SMS opt-in early. You're not actually taking contact information from this larger network and then emailing them because you know who they are from other activities. They've either purchased from them before, they purchased them a year ago, two years ago, a month ago, or opted in a long time ago, or we got them out. Okay. So outside of the, hey, you've abandoned your cart, what are some of the other ways that you're getting people back and recapturing the lost revenue? So then you want to optimize outside of email. So SMS, it's like build up a big file of permissions. And for mature e-commerce companies, it can be 20 to 40% of the revenue just comes from email. And if you're really good at email, it could be way more than that. And then it's building on the channel, like SMS. So how do you get yourself millions and millions and millions of opt-ins? And then how do you keep them? Which is like, do one-to-one messages, give people exactly what they want. Know why we like Instagram ads? Because it's cool discovery. It's like shopping. It's fun. The ads are great. They're really relevant to you. So like, if you could start giving great one-to-one new product recommendations for people instead of saying, here's new arrivals, the same email for everybody or the same text for everybody. So we focus on getting the permissions and then delivering what consumers actually enjoy doing. And consumers like buying shit. They just don't want to be annoyed with shit they don't want to buy. They like getting notifications about the stuff they like. And I love consumerism, by the way. And I love people spending all their money on shit they don't need and having fun with it and buying dumb shit. I love that. We mentioned this in the first episode. You're wearing a blazer with no shirt on. We obviously you love consumerism, of course. <laughs> well, my primary life KPI is fun. So I don't think people enjoy their lives enough. And I'm not going to be Elon Musk. And I love what all these other people are doing. Like My life is dedicated. I'm very passionate about fun. And working is hard. You have a business. It's not easy. I enjoy it. I enjoy every step of the way. And I try to teach other people how to enjoy it. And still watch stress, but enjoy it. Like I enjoy doing what I do. And that's my life KPI. It's fun. 
I also look at it as uh, F U to the end power. So fuck to infinity. That's what fun is. <laughs> I like it. It's a good methodology. One thing that going back to the marketing conversation, we mentioned that, you know, email is the sort of the main way that people are generating or recouping potentially lost revenue, what we were calling card abandonments. And you see the other way to do it is SMS. I get annoyed to no end when people send me SMSs. It's one of those things where I get an email. It's not disruptive. It's no big deal. I can unsubscribe. SMS pisses me off. You're right. Absolutely. I got pissed off too. This is why we got into the game over here. And SMS really wasn't a child at scale because people would get some opt-ins and then they would send you some shitty messages. That's why it pisses you off. So it has to be ultra personal. SMS is a very surgical channel. SMS, Apple, Apples will perform way better than an email. Email is a different channel. Emails actually, since COVID, is so up, it's up like 30%. Unsubscribers are down, open rates are up, and it's almost 70% of emails or Gmails. And Gmail does a really good job of putting yourself in a promotion inbox, and they made, made a mall for you. So Gmail is the new mall. And they get you this promotions inbox all the time, and you scroll through. And it's a feed. It's a news feed. It's a mall news feed for you. And people still prefer getting emails. They'll open emails at 40-50% that are really one-to-one relevant to them, and at like 12 to 15% of the blast ones. So it's do more of the one-to-one ones, but it, it's a news feed mall. SMS is not personal. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. You mentioned that emails, open rates are up like 30% since COVID. Walk me through why you said that. What does that mean? So we have internet scale data. We're seeing a macro change. This is what's happening. So people are going on their weekends for their couch and their backyard and the grill. And on weekdays, they go from that to their dining room table or to a little office. And when they're doing that, like we used to be at work, you have people around you. So now, ironically, the highest conversion rates were Monday through Thursday where people work generally during lunch hours. And weekends when people are in different modes, they, there's lower traffic, lower conversion. Now, what's happening is like people are coming to work but instead of like working the whole time, say when you're on a Zoom, you can be fucking around an email when you're on a Zoom. When you're in a meeting in person, you can't do that. When you're like working your desk, you can occasionally fuck around an email and social media. But now people are just looking at email so much. And Google's doing a great job of getting people there. People are just bored and they're getting some Zoom fatigue and they're just fucking around in their email. 
So they're just opening at higher rates. It's like just become a different kind of channel now. Outside of me, like, I don't know any many people have inbox zero in their personal email. They have a gajillion emails. They go in the promotion stem, they check it out. I'm a zero or I'm with you. Yeah, you're inbox zero? Yeah, I'm a zero too. Uh, personal email is actually my most personal channel. I don't let anyone fuck with me there. I unsubscribe from everything. Yeah, me too, actually. Eat my promotion box. But if it's relevant to me, I keep it if I like it. An SMS, I sign up for almost everything just because I'm a marketer. I'm curious. Remember, the only things you're getting are like, it's very thoughtful. One, it's here's the offer and here's the stuff you have in your card. And like, hey, this thing dropped in price. Or if, say, a brand gets in 10,000 new items, our team, we analyze those items and we picked out which person will like which item. So like Chris is going to get the LSU Tiger kind of wonderkin thing. You might get this cool, hey, we got this new plant. We know you bought a plant before. Check out this plant. For everyone that's listening, there's a big plant behind me. Yeah. So or this big microphone stand is like, oh, we got this newer microphone stand. So it's only the stuff that's like really for you personally. And when you do that, people actually enjoy the channel. And you actually putting images in hurts. If you're trying to make it a marketing channel, no, it's, it's a personal channel. And you got to be really surgical about it. If you are, it provides meaning. We have summer clients. It's like, like 16% of revenue comes from SMS. So it's being thoughtful. But you want both. Be greedy. Do both. Get both channels. Right? Understand it for different things. And in China, there's WeChat. And there's a universal messaging app. In the US, there's not. In Europe, there's WhatsApp. But Facebook actually doesn't allow you to build on WhatsApp like in China, WeChat. And I think eventually there'll be a messaging app. Instagram should have taken the opportunity. They blew it. I do think they'll be messaging app. And I think Slack should have used this as an opportunity to step up and nail the personal game. They didn't. It's just so fragmented. But there should be a messaging app that like you can follow brands on and make that a channel. But no one stepped up and no one uses Facebook Messenger anymore because Facebook sucks. Chris, we've had you on this line the whole time. And we've been going back and forth and talking about all the different ways that you can think about recouping your revenue and build a progressive app, you know, improve your web experience. You got to get that contact information, email, SMS, right? Different channels, but that's really the only method that you have to start getting people back. Give me your last thoughts and help me summarize here. Are there any other ways that we haven't talked about that are ways to get to recoup revenue when you have somebody in your cart? I think going off the back of that conversation, it's important to remember that email is a one-to-one channel that has been used like a billboard. It's a one-to-one channel that marketers use like a billboard. And for the most part, they've gotten away with it. That's one-to-many emails, batch and last emails are the table stakes strategy. And frankly, it's effective from a volume play. But if you look at the data, a one-to-one email like the abandonment emails that you mentioned are forming 24 times better from revenue per send perspective. So you get 24 times the revenue for each email send with a one-to-one message like an abandonment email compared to your standard batch and blast. But what you're running into, like a card abandonment email, that's like step one. If you have an abandonment series, that's absolutely essential. But at that point, it's basically great. You haven't differentiated. It's you equalize. You're par for the course now. In those emails that are hyper-relevant, like Brian's talking about, they perform that much more effectively, but they make up such a small percentage of the overall send and the overall program. So when you're looking at SMS, that's, to your point, going to be the rule, not the exception. They're very complementary channels. They're very related. You're probably going to have similar teams managing both. SMS becomes more ubiquitous, but you can't copy the email playbook to SMS because you're going to just completely piss people off. You need to view it very differently. It needs to be very thoughtful, like I mentioned. And so what you need to start looking at is how can you scale one-to-one messaging beyond just like, hey, you looked at this thing you put in your cart. Now here it is. Hey, you looked at this product and didn't add it to cart. Here it is. As marketers look to scale those types of messages higher up in the funnel and make it based off 
different interactions and different behaviors so they can make up more of their program, that is going to help them as they start adopting an SMS program because those are the types of communications that are really going to allow you to make a healthy SMS program and not something that's just collecting opt-ins, annoying people, and then burning out your list. The only thing that matters is having a personalized message that someone is going to feel is specific to them and relevant. And without that, the batch and blast emails, the spray and pray, they just don't work. You have a higher probability of annoying someone out of a future sale than actually getting them to convert the previous sale. That's right. I think just look at the image you're sending out and say, hey, would you want to receive this? Like, would you enjoy receiving this as a consumer? That's what I got to think about. It's like, think about it from the minds of there's humans on your website. They're not visitors. They're not clicks. They're people. They're not clicks. They're people. And you're sending things to people. We had summer clients sending seven blast emails, seven, I call it spam and slam, seven spam and slam emails a day. You think those teams enjoy creating those things? They're just trash. Think about from the customer's perspective, like what do you want to receive? And then you be playful, be more on brand. And if you're going to send an email to everybody, make sure at least tells a story or it's like a relevant site-wide sale. Well, site-wide sale is like, okay, it applies to everybody. If something doesn't apply to everybody, don't fucking send it. What I would add to that too, if you can get those transactional emails to work harder for you, it allows you to do things that are more brand friendly through your email program that aren't necessarily designed to get the sale. It's just that most retailers are sending one email a day and they have incredibly aggressive targets. And so they're basically using that real estate to drive as many sales as possible. But if you can get harder working emails for you that allow you to hit those targets without needing to have a solely transactional strategy mindset, that opens up the door where, hey, like maybe one or two days a week, you're including something that is more content focused, that is allowing you to tell your story. And so it is just a more interesting email and isn't necessarily overly salesy. If you can get each email that you send to just work that much harder for you and produce the results that you need, then that opens the door to get a little bit more diverse and just, hey, here's a new sailor. You go should send half the cents with double the revenue. And I think by what you're trying to get at is we talk about recovering revenue, stuff like that. All that matters is people are listening here, they have business, they want to grow their business. What are the ways they're growing their business? So the three things like there's advertising channels that work digitally, which is really Facebook, Instagram, and Google. You want to spend almost all your effort on those channels. So creating content, filming videos, brand assets, photos, and constantly either change your agency or just making sure you nail that. Spend almost all your effort. Hire people just internally on content. Spend so much effort on Facebook, Instagram, because that's what works. And so much effort on Google. So spend so much effort on doing that. I do think you have to have the right person for your brand representing you as a, a kind of celebrity influencer, like someone that you could reuse on your website. So social proof is super important too. Having the right endorsers or getting that one is really important. Getting the right introductory offer is super important. Having a very famous website is really important. Working with a company like us is really, really important. Then it comes down to your product and really starts your product. I see companies just always fuck up their product strategy. They're not looking at which products lead to higher repeat purchase rates. First thing, which of your products have the highest repeat purchase rates? And then make more of those products. What everyone does is they make new products for a new customer base. They design their stuff around the customer they want to have. First, who's the customer you have? And then two, how do you surprise and delight them or create more value to them? It's create more products for them. Who's your actual customer? What's their age? What's their gender? What's their archetype-ish? What are the products that they buy over and over again? Which is like, for Bonobos, it was like work pants. And it was like casual shirts. It wasn't like the flagship khakis or this other weird shit in the suits. What are the most valuable products? Like underwear is valuable. People buy it over and over again. It's like, all right, who is your customer group? What are the products you currently have that the highest lifetime value or the highest repeat rates and the lowest return rates? And figure out and make more of those. There's very little data put in from the products you carry. Who's your customer base? Nail that. Sell as much shit to your current customer base as possible. And then you could start like taking those products 
and move those to a different customer base. And we could do a whole other episode on like kind of corp strategy. You make it sound so simple. I wish it was always that easy, but that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Ryan Urban and Chris Mobiani from Wonderkin, formerly known as BounceX, for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Ryan and Chris, you can find the link to their LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact them on Twitter. Their handle is at Wonderkin, W-U-N-D-E-R-K-I-N-D, or you can visit their website, which is wonderkin.co. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our newsletter. You can send us your topic suggestions, your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.